Well, good morning, Redeemer family. Good morning. I'm sorry. No, my bad. My bad. My bad. Good afternoon. Oh, man, that feels so great to just hear human voices back when I say things. <laughs> it's been like being a YouTuber for a year. Just in my, your experience has been weird at home, like super weird logging into church. I just, not to brag, but my experience has been like super weird at my house <laughs> to preach into a laptop and then have my family weirdly on a couch looking into another laptop, not looking at me. The whole thing has been crazy. This is glorious. I just love being with all of you. This is fantastic. Some of you are newer to the Redeemer family. And uh, so after the service, um, when we're just connecting and we've all been so community starved, I just invite you, you see some people you don't recognize, invite them into your circle. Uh, maybe you're not comfortable going over and just introducing yourself, but just say, hey, come meet some of my friends and let's like meet each other, uh, which would be uh, just absolutely wonderful. Uh, when the... Uh, when the people of God left Egypt, they didn't just sprint out of there. They had to move at the pace of the children and be aware of the capacity of children. So these services are going to be a little bit shorter because we got to move at the capacity of our children. They're all with us and here together, which we're really thankful for. Many of them are so young. This, this, this is like a new experience for church. All they've ever known is seeing Susan on the screen. And now they're like, wow, she's a real human being. And so this is just new for our little ones, and spiritual formation is so important. So parents, you can relax. If while I'm preaching, five minutes in, your kids let me know they're bored, it's fine. I'm not going to be offended. It's okay. We've got to muscle through this thing together. And uh, boy, we're just so thankful to be able to be here uh, and have this facility. We've been going through a series on uh, the book of First Peter, the letter that he wrote, focusing on perseverance and patience and peace. And this morning, we come to the final teaching in that series from chapter 5. I'm going to be reading uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in the second half of verse 5 to uh, verse 11. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, stand firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you to make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. As we consider this scripture this morning, I want to uh, point out uh, a few things. The first one being that there is a spiritual force at work uh, in our worry. Secondly, I want us to look at uh, the call to cast all of our care. And then lastly, I want us to explore the implications of this mighty hand of God. So first, there's spiritual force at work uh, in our worry. There is, there is an enemy. This text talks about him uh, the devil, and um, the scriptures continually describe the devil as a supernatural personal force of evil, uh, of darkness and of power. This is how Jesus talked about the devil. When you come, when you come to texts about the devil, the difficulty we find is um, sometimes we as moderns like to glaze over these texts because we imagine pitchforks and dark arts, and it's a little too Harry Potter for us maybe, and we're like, I don't know what to do with this text about the devil. It's either that he's nowhere or else we're super 
sort of spiritually superstitious about it, and the devil is, is everywhere. I mean, Susan told a story one time to the ladies about being at a conference in the southern states, and a poor woman got stuck in the, in the stall, and as she was jiggling the door to the toilet, she said, the devil's trying to steal my joy. And she was right, but not in the way that she thought. And he's got a lot on his plate. Uh, he's losing at a rapid rate to the God and the King of the universe. So locking toilet doors is probably not high on his priority list. But yet, she wasn't wrong. He does want to steal our joy. Just maybe not in the way that she thought. And so when we come to texts like this that talk about the devil roaring, you know, roaming around like a lion, we don't want to ignore it. We want to think about the enemy of our souls the way Jesus talked about him. And not be arbitrary about what Jesus teaches and say, I like the positive vibes about mercy and justice and caring for the poor, but I'm not into this stuff Jesus talked about with the devil and sin and death and, and judgment. We want to look at all of it. And when we consider um, this text, notice that the instruction we are giving, that we are given on how to deal with this enemy, it's not spooky and strange, and there's not, you know, D&D spellcasting going on here. The way that we are instructed to deal with this enemy of our souls is grounded, and it's powerfully effective. The text says, be sober-minded, right? And then we're to cast off our cares. Well, we can't cast our cares on God without confessing what those cares are. And we can't confess what our cares are to our God, unless we sit down and we thoughtfully clarify what our cares are. So there is this thoughtful prayer that is going on. This, this is the wonderful counselor at work. Those of you who've gone to counseling, when we, when we go to counseling, our counselors will say things to us like this. They'll, they will say, they will give us tools and techniques with which to deal with those moments of crisis, whether our bodies are having a physiological reaction, whether our minds go on a rapid, you know, train of thought that almost seems uncontrollable in our psyche, and we just kind of go down this road. Counselors are very wise and prudent and good at giving us guidance as to saying, okay, where did those thoughts come from? What are you thinking about? What causes these things to occur? But the wonderful counselor here at work in this text, the, the, God, the lover of our souls, gives us something even more because no counselor, no matter how wise they are, has ever said to you or I, now just sit there while I heal your heart. This next part's going to be really great. I'm just going to heal your soul. That's is beyond their scope. But what the wonderful counselor is doing at work here is he's not just giving us tools for managing our fears and techniques for dealing with, uh, with, with the worries and the anxieties of our soul, but there is truly a healing that takes place when we turn to him. So after the, we consider the spiritual force that's actually at work under our worry, look at, let's look now at this call to cast our care. Notice that there's two sins in this passage, pride and worry. They're, they're described here. And both of these are ways that the enemy of our soul uses to sort of devour us. Pride and worry are both anti-grace. You run away. It says God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And pride and worry are two ways to sort of buck up against God's grace. The reason for this is because, of course, pride can lead us into all sorts of rebellion. Either rebellion like, I don't need God, I'll be my own God. Or the ugly face of self-righteous rebellion, which is, thanks for all the Jesus stuff, but let's just kind of put him to the side as I'm really not that convinced that he was enough, and therefore through my life of love and obedience to God's word, that's really at the end of the day what's making sure that I'm in God's good graces. Those are two ways of erasing grace. So God opposes that sort of pride 
But then also worry does the same thing because we debate whether God cares. We wonder if God is able. Both of these things, pride and worry, they lead us into horrifying self-absorption or a crippling comparison. But either way, we're sort of curved in on ourselves. And so the feeling of worry, it's actually the symptom. We're worrying about these. We're preoccupied with things that we can't control. The English translation says anxiety, or your translation may say worry. Uh, the, the Greek uh, word here is uh, uh, marinma, which means to, to have a tearing in your being. And that's what worry and anxiety feel like. There's something tearing inside us. And so this tearing in the being, it hurts us and it hurts others. Because for as long as I'm focused on me, I can't love and care about you. For as long as I'm fixated on myself with this terror going on inside my own soul, I can't get outside my own head to care about my neighbor, whether here in the Redeemer community or out in the greater community. I'm, I'm stuck. It's like having a, a headache in your soul. It's all you can think about. It's like the paper, the paper cut in the soul. It's like it's throbbing. It's all I can think about. The pride and worry takes us there. That's how the enemy devours us. That's what's going on underneath the anxiety that we feel. And I understand, I'm not being trite, I understand that anxiety is complex, but for those of you who struggle with anxiety in a sort of a pervasive way, where you've had clinical discussions around anxiety, don't ever read God's word with an asterisk as though it somehow doesn't apply to you. The wonderful counselor offers healing for all of our souls as we consider uh, the implications of God's word here. And so when we have worry and anxiety, it's like there's a warning light on the dashboard of our soul that's going off saying, the place that I have fixated my trust is failing. And so when I'm worried and I'm feeling, you know, torn up, uh, you know, what do we want? We want to get rid of that negative feeling. The problem is it's a symptom. The worry and the anxiety that you feel, it's a symptom of the real problem. The, the, real, the real problem is not what I'm feeling. The real problem is where in the moment I'm trusting. And so as we consider this, we see that the scripture says... We're to cast our cares. And so to cast our cares on God, it's not the shallow. He doesn't do the shallow work of making us feel better. He does the deep work of helping us relocate our trust. That's the real problem. Casting is praying. When you read Philippians chapter 4, which also gives us wise counsel as to what to do with our worry and anxiety, if you put those two texts next to each other, we see that casting is praying. It's coming to God and saying, don't be anxious to worry for anything, but with prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. This casting is praying. It's continual, and we stay committed to it. But there is good news here, church. The good news in all of this is that God has given us His Son, and we have to camp on that fact because that, is, that alone helps us to realize there is no reason to wonder or worry if He will get you through this next week or if he will get you through the next six months, or if he will get you through the next year or your life. The answer is he will. He is capable. He is able. He is your God. He is your Father. Which leads us to this final thing, which is the mighty hand of God. Let's consider the mighty hand of God in all this. It says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. His, 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 this is a picture of his sovereign power, of his greatness. The creator of the universe can handle your stuff. This is what this is saying. You know, years ago, I was in an accident. It was icy, snowing. I was driving a company vehicle, lost control on the ice, tried to avoid the car in front of me, narrowly, you know, almost did it. 
and the corner of my bumper clipped their taillight, broke their taillight, and we both came to a stop. It was a minor, I hopped out of the car, minor fender bender, I said, is everybody okay? Oh my goodness, what has occurred here? A few weeks later, I get some documents. I'm being sued for $2 million. My heart went into my feet, my stomach was in my throat. I was freaked out because I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I don't have $2 million. So I was worried and anxious. Now I want to tell you something. I got on the phone and the company that I worked for, because it was a company vehicle, they got their legal team involved in that I spoke with a lawyer. And this woman spoke to me with total confidence. She was ice cold, total confidence. I had no confidence. She was speaking to me like she knew exactly what she was going to do, and I didn't know what I was going to do. She was speaking with a tone in her voice. She could just hear the vibrato in my voice, how weird I was. She was responding. She was like, I know exactly where this thing is going. And I was sitting there like, I don't know, I don't know where this is going. And so what I realized was the confidence she had in her own ability was actually lessening the worry in my heart while I was on the phone. When I got off the phone, I realized that I needed something way deeper because my security insurance at the end of the day was actually hinging on everything working out. And what I really needed was a security and assurance that was so deep I was going to be okay if nothing worked out. I know that all analogies you know, break down, but we humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God, we must let God's confidence in his own ability and in his own word and what his word says to you and declares to you about his promise, his care, his provision, his relentless pursuit of love, the extreme reaches of his grace, all of the things that God's word declares to you, says to you, we must let those things and the confidence that he has dissipate the worry in our hearts. And you say, well, how do I know uh, that, that God cares? After all, look at my life, what's going on. Look at the challenges at work. Look at what's going on in the frailty of my own physical body. How do I know that God cares about me? Look out, look out the window. Look, what, look at the state of our province. Look at the state of the world. My friend, you're looking at the wrong thing. None of those things are evidence of God's care. You see, God's mighty hands are nail-scarred hands. And I close with this. There is a time and place in history when you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God cares about you. In 33 AD, under Pontius Pilate, when Jesus Christ was crucified in our human history on a Roman cross, and three days later, that tomb was empty. And a few 50 days later after that, the world was turned upside down as over 500 witnesses saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. And the news of his physical bodily resurrection exploded through the Greco-Roman world. And before the time of the book of the Acts was even finished being recorded, the gospel had spread to the corners of the earth that everybody had heard of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and it turned the world upside down. There's a point we can look back in history and we can say, I know that God cares about me because he came into our own suffering and he went to the cross and he bore it on himself that Jesus Christ did not come to bring judgment. He came to bear it. He took it. The evidence of whether God cares about you is not what's going on in your life or your finances or your body. The evidence that God cares about you is the cross and the empty tomb. And every time we stop and we reflect on the truth of this, our hearts are lifted. Because the, the, the perfect life of Christ as he lived the life that we ought to be living but we're not. 
and his, and his, his substitutionary death as he took all your sin, which you didn't deserve for him to do, but he did. And in the end, he gives you his perfect record. And though, even though day to day you and I are unfaithful, weaving in and out of trust and worry, weaving in and out of peace and anxiety, God looks on you and he only sees one thing. Righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, loves you like he loves his son. And this is true, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ tells you that the trajectory of your life is not an eventual decay until death. The trajectory of your life is inevitable resurrection. Christ was raised and we will be too. Every sorrowful thing in this world will be eradicated. Every glorious thing will be restored and he will raise us from death to enjoy it. But between now and then, We can live as loving and caring ministers of the gospel with hope in our hearts, not curved inward in this horrifying, self-absorbed worry and anxiety because our lives are in the very hands of God. So church, may we humble ourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. And in due time, he will lift us up. May we cast all our cares on him, for he cares for us. Amen. Let's pray.